MSW Media. This week, Donald Trump publicly criticized Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts. After Roberts pushed back against Trump's criticism of a federal judge who ruled that Trump could not bar refugees from seeking asylum if they did not enter the United States legally. Then, later in the week, one day after Thanksgiving, the Trump administration asked the Supreme Court to bypass the Court of Appeals and overturn the ruling from a different federal judge that stopped the Trump administration from implementing its transgender military ban. Will the courts continue to check unconstitutional and unlawful actions by the Trump administration? What does this mean for transgender Americans and for refugees? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, a WGN radio host who will join us regularly on this podcast. So, Patty, I have to say I was a little surprised when I checked out Twitter and what I saw was... Donald Trump attacking the chief justice. Uh, it doesn't seem like the, a smart person to get into a Twitter war with uh, when you are you know, undertaking a lot of actions that you're ultimately going to want his vote on. But it seems co- obviously completely in character with who he is and somebody who misunderstands <clears throat> what his role is in the executive branch as part of our dem- democracy, which is checks and balances. That's why we have three branches. And I love that Chief Justice Thomas, uh, Roberts, pardon me, not to, it would never be Thomas. <laughs> when do we ever hear from him? Uh, that Chief Justice Roberts had something to say, in particular his comments about how it's an independent judiciary. And it, you know that there is not there's not supposed to be any influence that uh, you know they that they are there to judge equally under the law, and I think it was important, significant, and I'm grateful for it. As a matter of fact, well, it was certainly a surprise. You know, folks need to realize that courts uh, and judges rarely make public comments outside of the decisions that they issue. So, well, you'll often hear on the news uh, this judge said this, this judge did that. And typically, that is because the judge issued a written opinion setting forth their reasons and, the, and their view of the law as to why they're, they're ordering something to happen. Or occasionally, there'll be comments that a judge will make in court that will be quoted by the press. Mm-hmm. But re- you never generally see press releases from judges or statements from judges. And here you had, and it was such an unusual move, The Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court speaking on behalf of the entire judiciary. And as you point out, you know, that is a separate and and co-equal branch of our government, equal to the presidency, the executive or the legislative branch, the the Congress. And saying he was he was pushing back against criticism that Trump had made of a judge in San Francisco who had ruled that the Trump administration made its rule uh, kind of uh, rolling back um, the ability of many uh, refugees to seek asylum violated the law. So he stopped that. That judge stopped that policy. And then John uh, John Roberts uh, was reacting to Trump saying publicly, well, this is an Obama judge. This is in the Ninth Circuit. This is, uh, you know, judge shopping. Right. Uh, yeah. You pick yeah. out judges who, you know, will be favorable to your case. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we could talk a little bit about that, you know, but what John Roberts was trying to say is, look, regardless of whether someone was appointed by Obama or Trump uh, or Bush or Clinton, I think he said there's no such thing as an Obama judge or a Trump judge. There's just federal judges. And and, you know, he, he was trying to make the statement that the judiciary is independent, that they operate as a check on the president. And I will say to an extent, to a large extent, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, when I talk and comment publicly, I don't mention what ju- what president appointed a judge uh, because I don't think that that is necessarily determines the outcome. And a lot of folks 
I think, assume that it does. Um, well, but look, look, the the the, uh, the Supreme Court that allowed Roe v. Wade to go through was appointed primarily by conservatives, and people don't even realize that. So if you want to go through and, and figure out the history or the background or who appointed whom, is not, it's just not pertinent. And he's making it sound as though judges are there to do the biting of whoever, <clears throat> whatever party put them there or whatever president put them there, and that's what's so appalling in so many ways. Well, I will say that it is true that the ideological um, uh, the ideology of the person who appointed a judge can at times have some predictive value as to whether sure. or not how a judge is going to rule. And certainly, I don't mean to suggest, you know, as I think I said in a prior, uh, prior, our prior episode, uh-huh. that Justice Gim- Ginsburg and Justice Thomas or Justice Kavanaugh are all going to, you know, that, that, that she would rule the same way that a conservative judge would. That said, um, and I will say, too, since the time of Roe v. Wade, There's been an increasing effort, um, particularly on the right by the federal society, to groom and vet and select uh, judges who are very reliably conservative. But as we saw last week, we had when I made those comments, it was because a judge who was appointed by Donald Trump uh, ruled against Trump's uh, pulling of that pass by Acosta. And what I think. It, that serves for everyone to realize that, you know, Justice, Chief Justice Roberts has a point, which is that judges are constrained by the law. And when the law is clear, um, they're going to rule in accordance with the law. And I will say, as to the refugee policy that was being considered by the district court in, in San Francisco, that was something that I think virtually any judge would have come to that conclusion because there's a clear federal statute that makes it that that um, indicates that when somebody comes to this country, no matter how they come, no matter how they get here, and they qualify under certain criteria, they can apply for refugee status. Uh, and, and essentially, they were trying to overturn a law which is passed by Congress, signed into law by the president, through just sort of making a rule internally in the executive branch, which you can't do. It is uh, it's insanity right now, when it is, you see the you know the Supreme Court justice. Uh, Chief Justice saying, back off, President. This is not your territory. This is not appropriate. And you have to wonder how long he's been wanting to say something because he had to have been pissed the other times, pardon me, the other times (laughs) that the president has criticized judges or questioned them or demanded something different from them. And I'm sure that the Chief Justice Roberts wanted to say something in the past and finally had had his fill. Well, there's there's uh, there's no question. I mean, one thing that I think is the obvious question here is why now? I mean, in other words, uh, there are plenty of times when Trump has criticized judges. Sure. Obviously, Judge Curiel famously was criticized during the campaign. And, and Trump brought race into that. Exactly. Sorry, said that he couldn't. No, exactly right. Said because of his Mexican heritage, uh, even though I think Judge Curiel was born in Indiana, I yes. believe, um, you know, that he could not uh, appropriately judge, uh, you know, maybe a judge in a case and, and partially judge a case involving Trump. Of course, then, you know, Trump wasn't the president. And I think, you know, this may have been a time when, you know, maybe Roberts was waiting for the right moment to make a statement like this. Right. But it certainly had an impact. And what's interesting is, you know, the Trump administration, more than other administrations, is doing battle with the courts. Uh, you know, it, it is always the case that um, there, are, there are legal challenges to what an administration does. I mean, the Obama administration, for example, faced challenges to the Affordable Care Act and many other actions that it took. That's just, you know, when you have an administration doing things, that's going to happen. But I, I think it's safe to say that the Trump administration at times has been very aggressive and tried to push the outer bounds of what it could do, and that has generated legal fights. And so more than you, than you might expect, the courts have been a check on Trump. And, you know, as we've seen, not only do we have this recent decision about refugees, but as I mentioned in the, in the intro, w- we literally had the Trump administration the day after Thanksgiving— same day, I should mention that they they released a climate change document that was very concerning and alarming, and we could have done this episode about that, which itself is uh, you know something we will have to cover at some point. Yeah, a Black Friday, uh, uh, you know, f- Black Future sort of report. It was indeed. bizarre. Yeah, we're yeah. all done at t- in twenty one hundred. It's all it's all over. Well, Black Friday Ooh. indeed. Yeah. Um, but um, the, you know, here we thought a topic that I think is also. Um, also very newsworthy and important, which was 
that the, the Trump administration, as many folks uh, may recall, uh, instituted or just trying to institute a transgender military ban. It's not in effect yet, but um, he, Trump announced this over Twitter. Some folks in the military uh, service chiefs weren't even aware of this until they saw the tweet. There was reports that they wouldn't follow this policy until they actually got orders because they weren't going to believe it was real. Um, the military had actually, under President Obama, spent a lot of time uh, researching the issue of whether or not uh, having transgender folks in the military, um, uh, you know, ha- you know, uh, hindered them, hinder, at all. yeah, hindered yeah. them or d- dealt with its readiness in any way. And they determined that um, that they could provide treatment and um, and have transgender mm-hmm. Americans as part of the force, uh, their force, military forces without any problem. And now we literally have, um, you know, Donald Trump overturning that very quickly. So what he asked for on Friday, what his administration asked for was a policy that uh, or excuse me, asked for special review where. The, it, it was a court had decided just a, what's called a district court, a, a lower level court, a trial court, the lowest level in the federal system. A judge had decided, no, this ban cannot go into effect. And they asked the United States Supreme Court to bypass the Court of Appeals, which is the middle level, and immediately take this case and immediately you know, consider this matter. That's very unusual. I was going to say, how common is it for a president to request a trial court decision to be moved up to the Supreme Court next. Uh, almost never. And it literally, <laughs> they have to say, and what they said was essentially, Trump, the Trump administration said that there's such a, there, this has such an impact on readiness and combat effectiveness that it was so Im- immediate. We, we had to deal with this issue. We have to get, essentially get these transgender troops out of the military right away. Um, uh, so I, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, do judges take into account or how much do judges take into account perhaps the you know report issued by the military and their findings when it comes to transgender soldiers well, and it's a Marines? Great, and it's a great question. And let me I'll say a few, uh, let me set up a few things here about yes, this. Please. Some of the legal legalisms here. So, first of all, when you're dealing with discrimination, um, Typically, you, the, the courts, they have three different levels of, of scrutiny that, um, that, um, that, they, that, they, uh, that they give or that they look at when they're examining whether the government is discriminating against a particular group. And the lowest level is called rational basis. Mm-hmm. And for there, they're only trying to figure out whether there's some reason for the government to treat these people differently. So you could imagine, for example, um, discrimination against people who had blue eyes. Um, versus green eyes versus brown eyes. You know, there, there's no, not what I'll call a suspect classification there. It's not like you're discriminating on the basis of race or gender or something that there's been historical discrimination. So let's just say that's at the lowest level of review. Well, then the courts are just trying to figure out, is there some reason why you would want to treat people with blue eyes differently than than green or brown? Maybe there isn't, but if they could come up with something, they give a lot of deference to the um, to the to the government's um, view and their reasoning, usually and mm-hmm. under a rational basis. Okay. In intermediate, which is where gender um, is, for example, um, is uh, is uh, dealt with. There needs to be a sort of a compelling reason. I'll just put it kind of oversimplify it, but there has to be a kind of a very compelling reason to treat women differently than men. And so there, the government, the the courts are going to take a very close look at that and make sure it's really because there's some biological difference or some other difference between men and women that's very clearly set forth. Strict scrutiny, it, for example, which is how race is, is and discrimination on the basis of race is examined by courts. It, it takes a lot. Like right. it, it would take an extraordinary. Um, uh, you'd have a, you'd have to go through a lot to, to to go over that hurdle. So what part of what's going on here is that um, first of all, trans it's not clear that transgender Americans are anything b- above the lowest level of scrutiny. That was a battle that is that has been that has been fought a little bit in the courts. The Obama administration took the position that. Um, first of all, the transgender Americans were subject to the protections of the of Title VII, which is the the Civil Rights Act, and they were they took the position that there was inter, some level of heightened intermediate level scrutiny that was required for treating trans, transgender Americans different from other Americans. Um, and the Obama, or excuse me, the Trump administration under Attorney General Sessions uh, very much rolled that back. 
And so uh, they issued new guidance and said, no, this is not our position. It, the transgender Americans aren't protected by the, the, by the Title VII. They aren't protected um, by a higher level of scrutiny, so on and so on and so forth. So here, in this case, um, you know, that, that's one issue that's looming in the background. But here, the Trump administration is on more solid ground than they would be in another context because you're dealing with the military. Right. So the executive gets treated with a lot of deference um, when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, how it handles the military and how it um, uh, how it um, you know manages the military because the way the Constitution is set up, the the president is the, the commander in chief. The commander in chief runs mm-hmm. the military, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of deference. The idea is you don't want uh, a bunch of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, trying to figure out how the military works. There's a lot of times crises mm-hmm. that develop. You need the military to be a, a sharply honed instrument. And I would imagine that uh, past decisions or policies come into play, too, because, you know, presidents have made decisions in regards to homosexuality and gender in the past. Well, for sure. It's, it's been uh, not, 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 not always a very positive, uh, right. very positive one. Well, I will say you know, th- these issues are very complex. They're hard to um, talk about, certainly on Twitter, where I try to talk about them. They're even more difficult to talk about via a podcast. You mean you want to go without a character limit for this conversation? There you go. <laughs> so I, that is why I am bringing in Chris Geidner. Chris is the legal editor at BuzzFeed News. He's their Supreme Court correspondent. And Chris was kind enough to point out all these nuances um, about this issue regarding transgender Americans when I was discussing it on Twitter. And he's been covering all of these legal fights back from the point when Sessions was issuing these memos early on, which has not gotten a lot of coverage, even though it should have, where you literally had the, the Trump administration uh, rolling back protections for a segment of our country. Yeah. Let's have him join us. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, great to be here. So we, although have... I'm I'm here in DC. <laughs> the, you... the great thing about the podcast world, <laughs> exactly right. You, you mean you want to be in Chicago for the blizzard? <laughs> I that's what my one of my good friends is in Chicago, and he just told me that I, I was out uh, running down on the mall today, and he was like, uh, uh, "We're getting ready for a foot of snow." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, um, we've been talking about, uh, before I brought you in, we've been talking a little bit about the action that the, um, the Trump administration took regarding the transgender military ban, which was um, put, essentially put on hold by the uh, federal judge, the, the sort of the, at the district court level. Now they're asking the Supreme Court in a pretty unusual uh, maneuver to have the Supreme Court immediately take a look at this and essentially saying there, there's an urgency to this, that having these folks continue to be in the military is such a, a grave problem that the Supreme Court needs to bypass its usual, the usual process we have of going through the Court of Appeals. And I know you've reported on that. Um, what, what strikes you about this recent move by the, by the Trump administration? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, Interesting that um, I mean one of the, the the things that really struck out to me is the the idea that they know this isn't popular, <laughs> um, and, and that that's a that that's a sign of where things have really changed. Um, I, I mean, like you you wouldn't have thought that that hiding your that 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 your your anti-trans uh, Supreme Court filing is a thing you want to hide on a holiday weekend if you're a, a conservative Republican who's trying to to amp up that base. And and yet even even Donald J. Trump's Justice Department uh, was was not eager to to share this with the world. It is it is interesting, and it is I think a sign of progress because. I remember back in 2004 when this was an issue that was being exploited in many different states across the country where there would be ballot initiatives on the ballot to, to deny marriage yeah, equality. Yeah, I mean, this is what what George W. Bush, like, pushed that forward mm-hmm. uh, as one of the things that, that he was going to use to 
to help him win in 2004. Um, in 96, the, the Democrats, the, the Republicans tried to create it as a wedge issue with the Defense of Marriage Act and, and Bill Clinton, for, for better or worse, decided, uh, his administration that the politics of it were that, that let's, let's say we support this bill really quickly and, and not let them make it a wedge issue. Um, so even the Democratic administration at that point was, was, uh, pushing it. And now you, you've got, uh, this being hidden, uh, on, on a Friday. Now it's also, and I, I think what you were getting at and what you, what you thought I was going to be saying is, <laughs> is, I mean, this is another one of these moves from the Justice Department to, to leapfrog the appeals court. The Ninth Circuit hasn't yet ruled uh, on these challenges. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is is scheduled to hold uh, oral arguments in its case on uh, December 10th. Um, there's also a case in Maryland that wasn't included in these filings this week because it's still the the judge there hasn't even ruled on whether to extend the preliminary injunction. And so it wasn't really in a, a posture to to be up at the with these set of cases that are at least on appeal to the appeals court. But like there's been no ruling uh, on this from an appeals court. And yet the administration is is saying, uh, as you said, that not only is this something that they think should be ruled on, but it, it's something that they think needs to be ruled on immediately, um, that it's an emergency. Uh, and, and that that's a, it's a really hard case to make that uh, two years of status quo of allowing trans people to sign up, that you need to stop that immediately in order to protect an emergency that hasn't happened in the last two years. It's a, it's a, a really odd argument to, to be making. Uh, Chris, in these efforts to bypass the appeals process, how soon would the Supreme Court, let's say they did agree to, to look this over, how soon would that, would that immediately be for this administration? Well, that's kind of the the. I mean, to the extent there's a strong argument from the administration on this, that that is what they're hoping. I think is their strong argument that they're saying, if you want to hear this case this term, we needed to do this now. Um, and and then the counter, if we didn't do this now, that would mean that you wouldn't hear the case until next term, which would mean that there might not be a decision in the case until as late as June 2020. As it is now, the earliest we would probably get a decision on this, even if they decided to take these cases, despite the posture of where they're at, would would be like probably because it would be heard late in the term. So it would probably be June 1919, 2019. You know, it's interesting. One thing that you point to is that essentially, you know, they're, they're saying that this is an emergency. It is, I will say it's a bizarre, I agree with you. It's an absolutely bizarre argument to make. It's weird. You have people who, who are currently serving their country in the military who they're trying to exclude. And some of them have been serving for some time. And so it's a very, it, it definitely has a sort of, it doesn't have an intuitive appeal. But I will say one thing that we saw with the travel ban litigation was that the, the courts did ultimately, I wouldn't say, not, not when I say the courts, that's probably not, not accurate. I would say the Supreme Court ultimately gave deference to the fact that the executive, that the president usually has a broad control over immigration. And I wonder whether the Supreme Court's view on that, you know, obviously there, it's a, become a fairly conservative court, you know, might mean that in the in the context of of mi the military, where the president usually has a lot more deference, that maybe the Trump administration has a stronger uh, legal footing than we might otherwise think. I mean, they definitely have a stronger legal footing in military personnel decisions than than they would have in in other areas. Um, but the, the problem is that they went about this so poorly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is one of those situations. I mean, it's the reason why they they really had to. I mean, I I, I, I maintain that the the whole situation with the travel ban. I mean, really, the the whatever it was that he wanted during the campaign, he didn't get. Whatever he wanted on on January twenty seventh, he didn't get. Whatever he wanted in March, he didn't get. He was stuck with because they kept doing these things in such a poor way. They ended up getting stuck with some some more watered down, more narrow, more easily able. They basically had mm. to have a, a strong waiver provision um, in order to to even get the Supreme Court in a sort of uh, mixed area of foreign policy and immigration to allow the president uh, where he's sort of at the the height of his powers to get something through. In this situation, you've got uh, these tweets that that came out in in July 2017 that, that really ran counter to everything the military had been saying, even under the Trump administration for the past uh, two two years um, about mm-hmm. what transgender service would do, and, and there's really no backing for what they're doing, and it, it's going to be hard. They they they're they're now trying to say like, well, the original ban that Trump passed. They're trying to basically do what they did with the travel ban. They're trying to say the original ban isn't what this is. Uh, this is the the maddest policy that he put forth that technically allows transgender people to serve. It just doesn't allow people who have been diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which is anybody who wanted once uh, surgery or uh, hormones or any mm-hmm. real treatment for transgender uh, status. Um, that, that those people are only excluded and they they claim that it's based on their concerns about I mean everything we've heard for for racial integration women in the military gays in the military it's all about uh, readiness and and morale and and these sort of things and and I just it, it feels like I mean, as opposed to those situations where at least when you were making those arguments, you didn't have people serving that you could point to easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in this situation, you have out trans people serving, getting promotion recommendations, getting uh, medals and, and awards, getting mm-hmm. higher ranks. And, and it, it's really it, it's. It's really hard to to argue that it's not just animus, not just discrimination. And I, I think that that they they're in that case, they're they're going to have a much more difficult time than the people fighting Don't Ask, Don't Tell ever had. And they're going to have a much more difficult time than they had with the travel ban. Yeah. Very interesting points, Chris. I, I, I you know, I mentioned earlier before you joined that Trump's tweets on the tra- on the the transgender ban came as a surprise to even the heads of the military under him, and there was a lot of uh, you know f- you know uh, reports of how the military was reacting, where you know they weren't even going to follow the, these tweets or do anything about it until they got a very formal formal order, because it, you know they had already put a lot of effort into ensuring that transgender uh, Americans could serve. And there had, you know, been a lot of work on that point, and frankly, it would be a lot of cost and problems uh, that it would create yeah. to reverse it. Um, I mean, that's the that's the the thing about the military is it, it's it's a a huge ocean liner, basically, <laughs> and, and you you can't turn it easily. <laughs> you can't turn it on a tweet, <laughs> and uh, they they. Once the military, I mean, and, and this is something, I mean, having covered Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I mean, I was at Metro Weekly covering LGBT things exclusively. And uh, I, I mean, the military, the thing that I really took in at that period was that that the military, it, it, 
people may have a position, they may oppose something, and, and until that decision's made, they're going to fight it. But once that decision's made, those are their people, and they are going to defend them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's what you're seeing now with, with trans service. You know, it's interesting, too. People, I think, should uh, listeners should know that historically integration of the military, racial integration of the military mm-hmm. was an important step um, towards ending desegregation in the United States before we had f- desegregation in other areas uh, like, uh, con- you know, public accommodations in the United States. We there was integration of the military that was ordered. Um, you know, shortly after World War II, and that was a, a step in the right direction and had, I think, a, 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 an impact that was beyond just the military. Well, and it's Yeah, seems, oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And it, it seems as though with this report that Mattis has released is based on the, like, you have to be, if somebody is transgender, if, as long as they haven't been diagnosed with d- dysphoria, with gender dysphoria, then they're okay, right? So if they haven't had anxiety about their biology or about their gender, then it's okay. It, it's just, it seems as though they're trying to make it sound like a psychological disorder more than anything else. Well, I mean, the more important thing is to understand that almost all insurance companies require that diagnosis in order to go on hormone treatment, in order to certainly in order to to get surgery. And so, I mean, what they're effectively doing is banning anybody who is transgender and wants to do anything about it. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. They're basically trying to put these people in a bit of a trick bag where in order to... Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Basically, you have to be hidden about this. Um, And in some ways, it's even... um, You know, it's it's controlling their bodily autonomy uh, as well because it's essentially saying you can't get treatments that you believe that you need and that even your doctor might believe that you need um, if you want to live your life and have a career. Um, so in many ways, it's similar to some of the, the decisions that, that have been made in that area. Um, and I will say, and I, I will say too, you know, I think your point is, is right. And I want to make sure that listeners understand, you know, what you're trying to get at Chris, which is, you know, if the administration went about this, and I'm going to put this in air quotes when I say the right way, and I mean the right way in terms of getting what they wanted uh, for purposes of, of getting courts to go along with them. They might have had, instead of a tweet, they'd have a long study that was commissioned that would decide, you know, that, and they would cite a whole bunch of factors and so forth and so on that would say, well, you know, this has had this, uh, you know, integration of transgender Americans uh, openly serving has had this and that and so forth impacts. And based upon that, we're issuing this sort of finely you'd policy. And yeah, maybe you'd have this little uh, two-step that they're doing in there. You'd you'd add, you'd build some more stuff, add it in. You try to make it possible so that a judge, if they wanted to be deferential to a president's uh, view of how the military should be run, that they, with a straight face, could 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 say that that policy was okay. But when it's done in this manner, no matter what your inclination might be, it's going to be hard for a court to uphold it. Is that would that be fair? Yeah, I think I, I think that that's the case, and and like, I mean, you've sort of got this dual track of everything you just said, and then the stuff that we were talking about with the fact that there already are trans people serving. Like, mm-hmm. the, there are right. there are factual counterpoints to whatever things you're going to put in these reports that undermine the 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 good faith basis for like whatever claims you want to make in those reports. I I think that's right. And as you pointed out, you know, you were talking about how the military regards people as their own. I think that Americans regard people who serve in the military with give them a special regard. And it'll be it would be really interesting if you had a situation where, you know, you had people who are serving in the military who came forward. Maybe there's, let's say, an amicus brief in the Supreme Court. In other words, a brief written on behalf of a particular person saying, look, I am, you know, I am an openly trans person. I've been serving in the military for X number of years. As you point out, maybe they've gotten promotions, they've gotten medals, they've served in harm's way. And then to deny that person the ability to continue to serve is the sort of cruelty that a lot that I think can cut through any uh, any kind of ideological or other inclinations that a judge might have. Yeah, I mean that's where you end up. I mean, you just create these 
the, these situations that that make it really difficult, even for judges who want to defer to executive authority on these issues to do so, because they they just see it as too obviously uh, an attempt to to just do this because they can. Um, and I mean, that's sort of I mean, the point that that. Adam Serwer and others have made is is this idea that like taking these cruel actions at points uh, is is the point that that it is an attempt to show their authority and to do so to a group that is unpopular with their base. Is it possible that the administration or this panel or or you know is is there are they likely to roll out somebody and say, look, here's somebody who is serving and they put their unit at risk. I mean, that, I mean, that's, I, I don't see any other way you would prove your point except to say, here's a situation where this, our national security was in jeopardy. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, a, they're not, I mean, so then they, they, they don't do that because right? it just, isn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, that's the thing. If I, I don't know. I'm not in a position to be a judge, but I'd be like, prove it. <laughs> well, to make a concrete, yeah. It, it, then you get into the, the nitty gritty of the facts and it would be bad for you. They, what, the, what, what the smart yeah, legal Yeah, they strategy, don't want that. Right. Of exactly. Else, yeah. Well, I gave him, I gave my hypothetical air quotes uh, example with Chris a moment ago. I was saying, well, you come up with some study and have a bunch of numbers in it. Yeah, but a numbers, study of numbers, but now you're exactly, right, exactly. giving me specifics. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, specifics, we want to get too much yeah, of the specifics just, of it because uh, there's I don't know if there's a there there. But that's saying, but you made the example of you know somebody who says I've been serving, you know, then the opposite would be like, right. well, here's the opposite of that. Right. Anyway. Right. Well, so and and I do want to kind of cover uh, a, another topic as well. You know, we we talked a little earlier, Chris, about you know how this was only one of multiple bizarre moves uh, between the Trump administration and the courts this week. We had uh, an open. Um, back and forth between the Chief Justice of the United States, uh, John Roberts, and Donald Trump, talking, you know, going back and forth where, you know, Trump criticized a judge calling uh, the judge an Obama judge, criticizing the Ninth Circuit, talking about um, selecting, you know, how people selectively are bringing their suits there because he believes it's a biased court, and I'd love to get your take on that. And then, you know, the, the, the chief justice defends the impartiality and uh, independence of the judiciary, and Trump pushes back on that. Uh, and, I, you know, it's interesting to me because you know, obviously there, there are a bunch of challenges to, uh, that Trump may be bringing in which he desperately is going to need the judiciary to sign off on whatever he's doing. Like, for example, if he resisted a subpoena from Bob Mueller, or, uh, you know, this transgender ban, for example. And, uh, you know, picking a fight with uh, John Roberts doesn't seem to me like a very good way of getting there. I mean, he's got DACA coming at some point to the court. He's got the trans ban. He's got, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with this asylum policy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, there are moments that that I can cover this administration every day, and there are moments that I'm still sort of flummoxed uh, by by what Donald J. Trump does. Um, I, I mean, he he like you you have to sit down and try and like reverse engineer it. Like, does he still not get how the branches work? Like, does he think that he can push around John Roberts the way he pushes around uh, Paul Ryan? I, I mean, it, it, and even 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 those attempts have at times worked against him with, with the, the legislative branch. It I mean, it, it just doesn't. I mean, there were some people uh, on Wednesday who were like, oh, this was a bad move by Roberts because he's not going to be able to go tit for tat with Trump on everything that he does. And so now when he doesn't speak out, it'll look bad and look weak. But I, I just don't see that. I think that, that people are smart enough to, to see that, like, this was a moment when the chief justice of the United <clears throat> States decided to step in to defend a district court judge. And, and I don't think that anything that Trump says in response really matters. Um, and, and 
I can't imagine that. I, I think that what we saw afterwards, like there was that first tweet from Trump that was like, well, John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts, you're wrong. Sorry, <laughs> um, sorry, John Roberts. The, so crazy. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Chief Justice John Roberts. Um, <laughs> but then the, the second tweet was a little more demure. Yeah. And then I don't know if you read through the whole transcript or watched the whole thing that he did with the press when he answered questions on Thursday morning. Um on Thanksgiving morning, but he, he like went, he was asked about the border and he went on for like four pages worth of, of stuff about, and he brought up the, the ninth circuit again mm-hmm. and, and, and the chief justice, but he was a lot more pulled back. And I, I think that, that even somebody even got through to, to Trump that like, you can pick on him, but why don't you pick on what courts are doing and not on him? <laughs> um, yeah. Because for for the reason that you you, you just said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's literally, you know, because of the balance in the Supreme Court right now, John Roberts plus the four liberals can, uh, you know, have a five four decision that goes against Donald Trump. So that's, he, that's what know. I've been wondering is, you know, this could really, you know backfire on him i would it sounds as though it already kind of is and roberts isn't i mean he's demonstrated that he's an independent judiciary mm-hmm. right yeah i mean i i have been for for better or worse i've been uh one of the people who has been talking a lot about like let's watch john roberts more closely um and, and i did a, a big piece in january that was looking at like movement from him over the past four years. And uh, that was obviously still when Justice Kennedy was on the court. And and I was very forthcoming in the piece that, like, we don't know what's re- – it's not a lot of movement. It's not a big deal. It's not like he's becoming, like, the next suitor or Stevens and, like, going from a, a Republican appointee to a big liberal. But, but th- there's some movement. And I, I – at that point, the, there was a big question, like, was this something he was doing to make Kennedy more comfortable with retiring? Is this something that's just about, like, literally about Donald Trump? Is this something about the the institutional integrity of the court? What's going on? And, and now Kennedy's gone, and he's still doing the same sorts of things. And I, I think he's just a... A, a, a real institutionalist who he's not going to like make liberal decisions just like to, to make liberals happy. But I, I, I think his first question is like, how does this affect the institution? And is this a step too far? Now that can hurt liberals at times too. And, mm-hmm. and, um, but I, I think that that is, is especially in light of Trump's behaviors, I, I think that, 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 that the chief justice came in as an institutionalist and, and took that mantle on more and more as he became comfortable being the chief justice. And, and then Trump came in and I think it sort of like gave a booster shot to that that made him like care about that almost almost I, I he probably still cares about his conservative principles more but i i think it's probably um something that that he does not make a decision without thinking about at this point the institutional impact of it well you know a couple of things that that brings to mind i mean i that i think that makes a lot of sense chris is you know this now one thing that folks may not realize is that this court that we have before us is going to be known throughout history, and and I I have no doubt that John Roberts, being such a learned guy, knows this. Will go down in history as the Roberts Court. Courts are usually um, described by the Chief Justice. You know his um, his you know his actions, the decisions of this court will reflect upon him and his name through the end of time or through the end of American history. Uh, I should, or, or as long as people still care about what the United States Supreme Court does, which will be certainly many years to come. And, and our, you know, you you drew that parallel to Paul Ryan, which I thought was, or that contrast with Paul Ryan, which I thought was so interesting, Chris, because 
you know, it's important for folks to realize that our system was set up by the, the framers of the Constitution to make it hard to get a lot of things done. We have all these different parts of our government that require elections to different times. You get the House where there's people getting elected every two years, the Senate every six years, and the judiciary you have uh, appointed for life. And so, you know, one thing that has happened is the House has been much more responsive to what Trump has wanted on the Republican side because they're all up for re-election, they're in red districts, and it, it hasn't always gone well for them, but for better or for worse, there's been a, he's definitely had his strongest allies there. In the Senate, he's had, sometimes you have people like Lindsey Graham who are up in two years in a red state. They, they become Trump, big Trump fans. But people like Lisa Murkowski, she's, you know, she's not going to be up for a long time. And after she voted against the, the uh, repeal of the Affordable Care Act, said, you know, I'll see you in four years or whatever, right, or five years. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and here, you know, what Trump may not understand is that she, John Roberts doesn't need to worry about getting elected to anything. He doesn't have to care. And so the, the forces that usually might give pressure to someone like a Paul Ryan really won't have as big, have a big, a big of an impact on a John Roberts. Yeah, I mean, in, in, unless we get into a, uh, you, you've made your decision now. Now let you enforce it, sort of situation, um, which I mean, thus far we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I and and I think that that it is that is part of the reason why why Robert cares. Like he doesn't just care about the institutional stuff, like to offset Trumpism. He also cares about it because uh, of the the thing that I mean. That like uh, us us legal dorks talk about a lot, but like there is the reality that that the court only has its integrity, its institutional respect uh, to 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 really allow it to have its power. It, it doesn't get to enforce the laws. It doesn't have an army. It doesn't get to to spend the money. It it it. it, it has the power of its decisions. And so I, I think you, you, I mean, in that sense, it's sort of like it, it was inevitable that like the, the head of the judiciary was going to end up being sort of whether or not uh, uh, an active sparring like we saw this week or just in practice in, in what they're doing, like the, the head of the judiciary is sort of the antithesis of what Trump represents. Well, and here's the thing. And, and I, and I, and in your piece uh, in Buzzfeed, I, I was wondering, there's a, a point where apparently you, you will, that you reported that uh, president Trump said that uh, about the asylum case, that it was an Obama judge, which is a bit, which is obviously what justice Roberts came out strongly about these. We don't have Obama judges. We don't have Trump judges. We don't have Bush or Clinton judges. Uh, but he also said, I'll tell you what, uh, we're not going to, we're not going to let it happen like this again or anymore. What do you think president Trump even meant by that? Well, he, who, who knows? I, I, I mean, he doesn't know. <laughs> like, I mean, like, let's be serious. Like, he was mad. And, like, so we can't let that happen anymore. So, okay, well, you you do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, they're not even going to have the house come January. So it's not even, I mean, even, even, like, threats to split the Ninth Circuit, which is, like, the, the, white whale of of some people right. on the right's aim um like i mean that's a non-starter um and it 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 just i mean i i honestly don't even know what he means like are we gonna stop forum shopping we're gonna have some bill that that prevents any sort of forum shopping even though like the reality is like I mean, these aren't even cases that are forum shopping in the way that, like, we normally have thought about that. Like, this isn't like, like, the fact is there are a lot of asylum and immigration cases in Texas and California. And so, (laughs) shock, conservatives file their cases against Obama on immigration in Texas, where they get the Fifth Circuit, which is very conservative, and liberals file their cases against Trump in California, where they get the Ninth Circuit, which is more liberal. And, and I mean, like the the like 
it, it was so weird to have Trump like criticizing the like saying that the Ninth Circuit isn't an independent judiciary because it's issuing rulings that are making the president mad. Like, do you understand <laughs> what words mean? Like, they're proving their point. Like, you are proving they, your, your point wrong in the words you're saying. Like, <laughs> like get it together, guy. Like, it, it's so confusing to me sometimes. What, what, like, what even, like, you, you really have to, like, and it's the most dangerous place. Like you have to get inside his head for a few minutes to try and understand where he's coming from. And, and I mean, the only thing that I can imagine is somebody talked to him about like, well, people have talked about finding ways to prevent forum shopping. And um, we, we could restrict what courts, where, where people could file challenges. And I mean, I guess that would be some sort of provision that would say, you have to challenge uh, rules promulgated by the Department of Homeland Security within the D.C. Circuit or something like that. I mean, right. like, I, which wouldn't necessarily do them any better, especially <laughs> at the district court level. So I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is funny. You know, one thing, too, is the, his view of the Ninth Circuit is very dated. It, it reminded me of you know, yeah. his view on oil. We originally had, you know, oh, we have Saudi Arabian oil is so important. It's like, well, not not as much anymore. I, maybe that was a view that he had from 20 years ago. He never got <laughs> updated. Uh, the same is true of the Ninth Circuit. You know, the Ninth Circuit was considered, I'd say, by a lot of conservative legal folks uh, years ago is this. Uh, you know, bastion of liberalism that was getting uh, overturned frequently by the Supreme Court because it was acting out of bounds. But if you look at the statistics lately, I think the Sixth Circuit uh, is is the most overturned. Uh, and the Ninth Circuit really hasn't been overturned at a particularly alarming or surprising or out of the ordinary rate. And the Ninth, you know, well, and yeah. as we all know, like those those statistics are even ridiculous because they're only based on the cases granted right. and the, the that's such a small portion, especially of the ninth circuit, which is huge. I mean, yep. the, the ninth circuit should have the most overturned cases, honestly, because they're hearing more cases than most circuit, well, right. than all other circuits. Exactly right. So the in the ninth circuit, so people understand what we're talking about here. The courts of appeals are split into various, um, various uh, areas of the country called circuits. The Ninth Circuit is by far the largest. It's not only California and the West Coast, but it goes all the way through, you know, large portions of the Western United States. Um, and so it's by far the largest in terms of population. And so you're not only going to get the most cases by volume, you're going to get on average, more extreme cases with unusual circumstances, just because you have more cases to choose from and more rulings and more judges and so on. So it's it's really, the, like you said, and certainly in terms of raw numbers and even on percentages, you'd expect it to be uh, the most overturned. It isn't. Um, and, and like I said, I just think it's it was literally ignorant. You had a lot of folks uh, on the left and the right. I remember George Conway was writing on Twitter explaining why Trump was wrong about the Ninth Circuit because the, literally the numbers he was looking at were old. I don't know. Who, I think maybe uh, Sean Hannity had mentioned yeah. them or something, right? So what yeah, I mean, they, they, they don't like it. I mean, that, that's, we, we get this situation where he, he's not getting his data from his advisors. He's getting it from Fox News. You know, it's interesting, and you know, you were you were joking a moment ago, Patty, that Chris is tired. He sound, you know? No, he sounds tired. He so does well because exacerbate. Exacerbate. <laughs> well, you know what it is. I think that for a lot of folks covering this administration and what they're doing, it is a bit of a treadmill because there's always something every day, no right, matter what. Right. There's always new news. It's part of the reason we have this with, with this podcast. We always are every week debating what to talk about because there's so many different things to talk about every week. And I, you know, one thing that I talked about earlier, and I'd be curious about your take on this, Chris, is, is it seems to me that compared to a lot of presidential administrations, the Trump administration is being very aggressive in their policies and pushing the envelope more than some, in pushing the powers of the executive more than other 
um, other administrations. So they tend up, they end up in the courts more uh, getting, I mean, every administration gets challenged. The Obama administration was challenged, but it seems to me like these battles uh, have been raging and are much more um, uh, contentious than even some of the ones we've had in years past because of the aggressive nature of the administration itself. I mean, yeah, there, I mean, and there is a reality that there are a lot of people who don't like the administration. Mm-hmm. And so people are looking to file losses. I mean, there are there are like what, like three or four new groups that have formed just since Trump took office basically dedicated to filing losses. <laughs> and, and I mean, so you've got this combination of like the Trump administration. I mean, it's not just that they're taking aggressive actions. It's also, I mean, the stuff that we were talking about with the travel ban initially, like, and the, the, the trans ban, like it's that they're taking actions that are not carefully vetted and are, are, more easily subject to challenges and so you've got these these you've got aggressive policies that are are likely to be challenged you've got careless policies that are might not have been able to be challenged at least not successfully in the past that are able to be challenged and then you've got people wanting to challenge things that they do And, and so that that combination um ha- has led to to just a reality that, that <laughs> legal reporters and legal commentators are very busy these days without a doubt and and one one reason that i was so happy to have you on the podcast this week is I don't think people were focused enough on the transgender ban and what was happening. I don't think it's gotten enough coverage. I'm curious, are there other things before we go, Chris? What uh, what else? A lot of the people on my podcast are people who like to consume the news and want to know what's going on. What should they be looking at that people aren't paying enough attention to of that the Trump administration is doing with the courts? Um, I mean, I, I think it is important to be watching um, – when, when, I mean, so we've got the Solicitor General is the, the top, basically the top Supreme Court lawyer for the Department of Justice. And um, I am sure, like, people have talked about him a lot this time. It's Noel Francisco. He used to be at Jones Day um, because he's in the line of secession. Um, and so he's been talked about. Uh, a lot for the possibility of him uh, overseeing the Mueller investigation if he's not recused. And um, but he for, forget about what could happen with him in the future. What he's in charge of now is filing briefs at the Supreme Court about what the administration's position is, and also um, his name is on these these filings when uh, the administration says you should leapfrog the appeals courts and weigh in on this, whether it's DACA, whether it's the trans ban, whether it was the census case, um, whether, whether, I mean, we'll probably see similar actions if things go forward with this asylum challenge. Um, and, and I mean, be watching what he's doing um, because there, there's like one, this is, this is an office that is much more aggressively going to the Supreme Court more quickly than that office has done in the past. Um, the Solicitor General is often called the Tenth Justice because they have so much sway, because the court listens to them and trusts them, because it's not just political people in that office. It's it's people who are sort of the, the, the nation's expert on areas of the law. Michael Dreben, who we, we've heard, he is assisting the Mueller investigation in part, but he's also in the, the SG's office, and he's basically the, the top lawyer in the country on what the federal criminal laws mean. <laughs> and when he speaks before the court, the court takes him very seriously. And there, there are a lot of questions that a lot of, of people are looking at about whether or not the, the, these actions of the, the SG's office of, of quickly taking things to the justices is going to have any long-term effect on, on the way that office is seen. And I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think we have seen 
some rulings from the justices that have suggested that, like, they're watching this and, and they've turned them down a few times. Uh, they let the census trial go forward, uh, despite the fact that, that DOJ asked it to be put on hold until they could resolve other underlying questions about the evidence in the case. Um, and, and the Supreme Court denied that request. Um, they had originally asked DACA, the, the, their attempt to wind down DACA to go to the Supreme Court before there could be appeals courts rolling in, and, and the Supreme Court turned that down. So, I mean, it, the justices are watching this, so people should be watching what what it is that the, the Trump administration is, is saying at the Supreme Court and and whether or not they're they're really um, undermining this institution, the SG's office that that has a, a really prominent place in sort of stability across administrations on the the interpretation of, of laws. Wow. That's that that's interesting. I actually yeah. have learned Quite a bit from talking with you, Chris. Thank you so much for being on our podcast this week. Thank you all for doing that. Such excellent coverage. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. (laughs) 